let me introduce you today to my good friend Ken Bossong, the CEO of Infinidec. Infinidec is an awesome company. Um, what I want to do first, Ken, let, let's show your video now so you know what the heck yeah. the Infinidec is, and then we'll dive into the story. So let me push play on this uh, on this video, um, and let me know if you can hear it. Who knows the movie Ready Player One? That was, that's our device in the movie at the beginning of the movie. That is our device. That's Wade running on that in the uh, Oasis. So we manufacture what's called an omnidirectional treadmill, which allows you to put on that head-mounted display and move in any direction. Um, and play games like this, which is a game called Half-Life Alex by uh, Bethesda, which was bought by Microsoft. Um, that's actually me walking on the device. It's a real, the real thing. It's right up the road in Rockland. And this is another uh, Bethesda or Microsoft game. We also have, we, we only have enterprise clients now. We're using it for things like medical rehabilitation. It's a partner of ours over in Italy. And we have military clients, a lot of military clients, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force. This is actually the UK military, which is the, uh, the Royal Army over in, in Great Britain. So that's what we do. Hopefully that's cool to some people, because I think it's cool. Awesome. Okay, so Ken, let's dive in here. The Infinite X. So we got this treadmill. You can sit down. I, I'm not capable of standing that long. So we got this treadmill. You go in all sorts of directions. <laughs> broader metaverse. Like, tell me more about the problem that companies are hiring you to solve. Like, wh why, why was a multi-directional treadmill necessary? So, full transparency, I'm the CEO, I'm not the founder. My partner, George Berger, is the founder of the company. Um, you guys can imagine he was watching his son play Call of Duty sitting on the couch and said, and he's an inventor. The founder of the company has 30 patents to his name. He's invented all kinds of cool things. And he sat there and saw his son and he says, makes no sense, I gotta get him in the game. And so he created the omnidirectional treadmill. He has a, it's a patented technology. Um, you can search the web, but I guarantee you're not gonna find anything like it. There are other solutions out there for locomotion, which is like moving in virtual reality. Um, one would be throwing on a headset and walking around inside of a warehouse with a backpack and a computer, but not everybody has that much space. So um, the reason for inventing that was really to get people inside a virtual reality. So as Aaron asked, what do people use it for? I mean, we are only in the enterprise space now. We will go into the consumer space in the future. Um, but people are using the device for training, enterprise training. Um, think of an oil and gas company um, or any company that has kind of spatial assets. And what I mean by that is an oil and gas company has refineries, they have boiler rooms, they have oil rigs, and they fly people out on those oil rigs to do work. And all of that stuff is in virtual reality now. These companies have it all in virtual reality. The problem is they can't naturally walk around in virtual reality. And they do things, that, if you guys are familiar with it, you can joystick control, right? You can move yourself through an experience 
through a joystick or you can teleport. I shine a laser beam and I move myself over there, which is very unnatural. There's a connection between the body and the mind that's lost. And that's where you get VR sickness. So any kind of uh, training situation or medical rehab or um, um, kind of walking through um, a warehouse, those are the use cases that our clients are using the device for now. I just had my CEO down in Hollywood. Um, we have three Hollywood film studios using the devices for TV shows. I can't tell you which ones, but soon you will see it. And uh, feature movies that are coming out where they can put an entire green screen up of anything and have someone moving while the screen is going by and you don't have to deploy a bunch of people to an on-site location like in the desert somewhere. So endless number of use cases. Well, so, so let's talk about some of those. So you mentioned enterprise versus consumer. Can you explain a little bit the difference between those two things? Sure. And then and then why you're so strong with enterprise clients now? Yeah. What you expect in the future with consumer clients? So you probably saw a little bit of the device there. It's a big device. It's, you know, 700 pounds. Um, and it's expensive. It's like the cost of a car, quite frankly. Not as much as a Tesla, but it's expensive. <laughs> so not all people can buy a unit like that. Um, most people can't. So our focus, and it also requires right now someone else to be there while the user is on it. It tracks your motion. So unlike a normal treadmill that you would get on and select a speed, you get on this device and if you stand in the middle of it and don't move, it's not going to move. But the minute you move in any direction, it'll move in the exact opposite direction. So for safety reasons, when you get on it, put the headset on, put this belt around with a tracker, we need someone there to get the unit started once you're in the right position. <clears throat> so that's one of the reasons why it's really not a consumer device now. So our enterprise clients are, as I mentioned before, like the Army, the Navy, the Air Force are clients of ours at Cleveland Clinic. We have a lot of medical clients who are using it for research, researching Parkinson's disease, researching stroke rehabilitation, putting people through um, uh, rehabilitation right now. Um, we have large clients that are aerospace companies. Um, for example, one of our large our clients, Collins Aerospace, they have they design their planes in virtual reality, and now they can walk around naturally under those planes. The Air Force walks around under all their planes in virtual reality, and they're able to train people to do maintenance. They're able to train people to do pre-flight inspection. They're able to train people to load cargo on the devices uh, or on the on the aircraft. Um, in the future, call it three and a half, four, five years from now, it will be a consumer device that you could buy and experience it yourself at about the cost of a high-end treadmill. Peloton treadmills cost like $3,000, so um, it will be in that range, and wouldn't that be cool? We believe that it'll be a ubiquitous device. Everyone will have one in their house, and the entire family will want to get on it. They're going to want to get on it for fitness. They're going to want to get on it for gaming. They're going to want to get on it for virtual tourism, and it's going to be a little bit of a battle as to who can get on the infinite? It's not going to be like a treadmill that's stuffed down in the basement. I like line them all up and get them in trouble. I can envision my three kids yelling at each other for the turn on the infinite. So <laughs> make sure you get me one of those. Um, so metaverse, big buzzword. Everyone's talking about it. It's you know, you know, talking about like 
Web 3.0 and how the metaverse will tie to that, like it, it's certainly hot topic of the day. Like, what opportunities do you see in the metaverse? Where where is it just, you know, a, a bubble that's going to crash versus where is it the future of, of yeah the, of the world? What what do you see? So the metaverse is real. Um, you know, there there is we've known about since I'm in the <clears throat> the VR space. We've been talking to people about the metaverse for a while, and then. Lo and behold, eight months, nine months ago, when Mark Zuckerberg announced the name change and people started going, what is the metaverse? It's very, very real. It's going to be the next internet. I mean, there was a time when, <clears throat> you guys don't remember, but I surely do, when there was no internet, there was no World Wide Web, and people were talking about it, and everyone was saying, this thing's you know, not going to be anything, and look what it's turned into, right? You know, We all have our phones on and on and on. The metaverse is going to be another level of that. Um, being able to, you know, there's massive amounts of money that are changing place right now in the metaverse. There's, there's, um, there's assets that are owned in the metaverse right now. There's land that's owned in the metaverse. There's buildings. It's crazy. Um, and you say, well, why is that the case? You know, how could someone own some land when, and it has a value, a high value when someone could just make more of it. It doesn't really work that way. It's not going to be that way in the metaverse. It's kind of like Bitcoin, right? You can't just go make more Bitcoin. There's only a certain amount of it. So the metaverse is going to be real. It's going to impact all of our lives. And it's not just a consumer thing. Um, Boeing announced two months ago, they're going to build their planes of the future in the metaverse. Um, and they'll build planes in the metaverse so they can build them as lifelike as possible before they spend all the money building the real planes. Um, BMW has uh, a plant in what's called their Omniverse that was built by a company. So there's gonna be commerce that exchanges place. There's already concerts. You guys probably know about the concerts that you can go to in the VR or the metaverse. So it's, it's, it's a very, very real thing. I think there's a lot of people that are jumping on the bandwagon of the metaverse right now. And, um, um, but I would encourage you to learn as much as you can about it. Um, I've got some things I could send to Aaron and, you know, uh, talk about the digital economy in the metaverse. That'd be very, very interesting for all of you to read. It's written by a guy that I know over in France and, and it's very down to earth, but it'll open your eyes to what's really going on with the metaverse. But it, it's not something that's just here and gone. It's, here for the rest of your life, and it's going to be as big, if not bigger, than the internet. Well, and so you kind of already answered this question. Forgive me if I'm asking a question, and the answer is obvious. But so, why is the Infinite X so important for this future metaverse, and what's what's coming? Yeah, I think I think there's a we're kind of a last piece of virtual reality that isn't there. There's no real way to naturally walk in virtual reality. Um, let me talk about some of the other things that are going on in VR. So obviously, the head-mounted display is what people are most familiar with. Um, Oculus, everybody knows Oculus, they're owned by Meta. Um, Oculus was created by an individual named Palmer Luckey. Um, Palmer's a very good friend of our founders. He's actually on our, on our board. Um, he's an advisor to us, um, incredible, incredible human being. Um, so we all know the head-mounted display, but then there's haptics. Now, haptics are a little bit bizarre. You could have, you, I could look at my hand in virtual reality and I could have a haptic glove on and I could grab a tennis ball that someone throws to me, but they're really not throwing it to me. 
and it's not a real tennis ball, but in virtual reality, I see it. And when I grab it, it feels like I'm grabbing a real tennis ball <clears throat> because the glove that I'm wearing gives haptic feedback. It has sensory uh, input to my hand. Um, they have haptic suits. So think if you put on an entire, almost like a wetsuit, that was a haptic suit and someone were to shoot you with a gun, this haptic suit, you could feel it so much so that it would actually bruise you. And you never got hit with a real bullet or a real paintball or whatever it is, because there's a connection between the virtual shot that you're feeling and the, the suit that would push into your skin, so much so that if you have it turned up to level 10, it would give you a bruise. So that's the haptic side of it. Then they're talking about, you know, there's people that are doing sensory things. Like I can smell, I'm walking through a field and I can smell the grass or the flowers and there's wind and all these kinds of things. Well, all of that's available now. And now the Infinitec is available, adding the piece that is probably most important. And that's natural walking, natural running, natural jogging in the metaverse or in virtual reality, which is kind of the same thing. Okay, awesome. Let me pause for a second. Anybody have any questions they want to ask about the metaverse and Marvel? Yeah. Um, I just like watched the Spider-Man movie, so like there was like possibility like metaverse gonna be like used like app use or something. Gonna be like what? App use, like people use it. Oh, <laughs> that absolutely is gonna take place. We all know that, right? I mean, it takes place right now in the internet, um, and you can only imagine that that's gonna even be worse, right? Um, you know, we can have financial abuse, you can have human abuse that takes place in the, on the internet, um, you know, stealing people's identity, whatever. I mean, that kind of stuff's going on right now. People are, you know, creating an avatar of Beyonce and saying this is her and, you know, all of a sudden she, her identity is out there in the, in the metaverse. And, you know, that, that's one thing we all have to be very, very cognizant of, careful and, uh, you know, it's just going to unfold. There's nothing we're going to be able to do about that. Yeah, definitely something that has to be figured out. I, I was reading our, just this morning about uh, you know, sexual assaults in the, the metaverse. And I mean, you know, not the same thing as the real world, but certainly not something we're going to yeah. be comfortable with or tolerate. Yeah. Um, so how, how you hammer those things out as you go. Um, awesome. Any, any other? Yeah, please. I have a question. Like, I really like the idea you're talking about. It's going to be like people want to hop on that treadmill and to not treadmill, like in Canada, yeah. and you know, to play with it. It's like a center for like the family, like future entertainment. But like Microsoft, like a few years ago, did a sim similar like approach. They're trying to make Xbox like the center of like the family entertainment. But apparently, they tried to like bring up all the you know the big streamers. Like, you know, the Disney, like whatever, like Netflix and a lot of like um, like TV services. Yeah. It didn't work well. Like, how do you think like this is going to be different than that? Because like Microsoft really wanted to make a major upgrade on the family, you know, entertainment. Want to like all the family members to participate in that Xbox experience. Yeah. But it didn't work well. Like, yeah. How do you think this is going to be different? I think that's a great question. And I think the difference is that um, we don't build the content, which is really, really cool. We don't build the games that people use for the infinity. You don't have to do that. If you're familiar with virtual reality, there's only two gaming engines. Really, everything in virtual reality is either built in Unity or it's built in Unreal. Kind of like if you think about 
PCs and Apples, right? You know, iOS versus, you know, um, uh, a typical IBM operating system. There's only two, it's Unity and Unreal. Anything that's developed in Unity or Unreal can be used with the Infinitec. So the games that are out there and the content that is being developed is already there. And people will get an added benefit of really being able to use it on our device. So if it's a real popular game like Half-Life Alex, which I, if you know Half-Life Alex, it's unbelievable. I've done it on our Infinitec. Why wouldn't you want to get on a device like ours? So it's not really a risk that it's not going to work. You're just saying, hey, what are the top things that people can use the device for? And they can have access to it. So we'll provide the inside the headset the ability to go and use any of that content that's out there that anybody wants to. And why wouldn't they? So I don't think it's a risk, like you said, where we try and do something and it fails because there's no demand for it. The demand is already there, but the demand is only going to get higher when people can naturally move through it. And the other, the other thing I didn't mention is that these things can be networked together. So someone could be here in California walking through Central Park with someone that's in New York City together. And you can look at each other's avatars and communicate with them. And that could happen with 10 people or 20 people or 200 people, which is very, very cool. Awesome. Uh, <clears throat> any other questions? Yeah, please, come back. I wanted to ask, um, you've got one of the big things about like VR with this full motion. Um, but like, what do you think about things like haptic feedback or full body tracking? How are those going to play into like fully experiencing VR? Yeah. Were you here when I just talked about haptic or did you just walk in? I just walked in. Oh. <laughs> Push rewind. <laughs> so I was speaking about that, how telling the class that all of that stuff is available right now. And those are partners. So imagine if you could get on the Infinitec and you could have that haptic, all of that's going to come together into an overall immersive experience. The haptic capability, the natural walking capability, everything that you see in your headset, in addition to feeling wind coming over you and scents and things like that, depending on where you're walking. So that that's all starting to come together. I was part of a podcast about six months ago where members of CEOs from all these different companies talked about you know, haptics and sense and uh, what's going on with the new versions of the headsets that are coming out and eye tracking. All of that's happening. So haptics going to play right into all of that. Awesome. Well, Ken, let's, um, let's like rewind for a little bit here. Talk about your career. So how I, I, I want to understand the story of how you ended up at Infinitec. Maybe, you know, dare I ask, rewind as far back as when you were our student's age here. What were the steps you took, the path you followed, to get where you are today. Wow. In other words, tell Which me your biography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm not gonna go too far back. Um, I mean, this is a startup class, so is everybody into right now maybe being a startup? Put your hand up. Oh, a lot. <laughs> it's a big, big, big statement and a big thing to do. I'm a civil engineer um, by trade, and I got into, um, I went to school uh, for civil engineering and got into real estate and construction and things like that. At some point along the way, I got into um, I got into the sales side of things. And about 20 years ago, I am an old dude, um, I got involved in my first startup. I've been involved in 
kind of five startups. All of them have been successful. Two of them have gone on to be public. Um, um, this is my fifth one, I guess. Um, and the startup kind of <clears throat> um, route that you start up for your career is, is, is a big, bold move. It, I, I think it's for everybody, whether you decide to do it or not is a different thing. Um, I first was involved in geospatial technologies. Myself and three other people started a company and we went on to sell it to a public company uh, over in Europe. Um, and after that, I did an open source technology. You probably know open source companies. That was acquired by a company that, that now is uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, I currently own a bunch of health clubs down in Florida. Um, so that was kind of the third thing I got involved in. Um, I'm a partner in a, in a, a water technology company um, based out of Lisbon, Portugal, of all things. They do some incredible, um, have incredible technology for detecting leaks in all of our water infrastructure around the world, which is, uh, we all think of roads, bridges, and highways, they're all falling apart. Well, the same thing's happening underground. It's a real, real nightmare that we don't see, so we don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, and then I got involved in uh, Infinitec. Um, Aaron's involved with a venture capital company that funded Infinitec, and I'm uh, very close with the uh, managing partner of, of the venture capital company. He asked me uh, to take over as a CEO. My role has always been on the sales side. I've been, you know, ran all the sales for all the startups that I've been involved in. And uh, this was an opportunity to, you know, be at the helm of a company, which um, <clears throat> I don't know if it was the right decision to make. <laughs> um, startup is an interesting path. I think it's the only path that I would ever choose. And I encourage you um, to really check it out if you're if it's something that you want to consider. And um, as you're in your 20s and your early 30s, make all the mistakes that you possibly can and um, look at all the different companies and find out what you really want to do. Um, but you know, that, that's, been, that's been my career and I've been uh, involved in the startup world almost 23 or four years at this point right now. Well, I, I'm going to come back in a minute to the good, bad, and ugly of working for, with, you know, running your own startup. But I want to talk for a little bit about sales. So this, you know, not very many of us have ever taken a sales class. It's not something you learn in college or high school. And, and like, it almost seems like unless you have a sales role, you, know, you, you might not learn it. And you know, if anything, we've got like the stereotypical image in our head of the used car sales yeah. person. Um, can you tell us more about the sales role, why you think it was so important, how it helped you, maybe even a little bit how you gained those skills in the first place? Yeah, I, I think that for anybody, um, I think understanding <clears throat> sales is one of the most, we, we sell all day long. As human beings, that's what we do, right? <clears throat> we're selling when we're trying to talk to someone. We're trailing, We're selling when we meet someone at a bar. It's it's, <clears throat> and it's not persuasion. I hate that word in selling. It's not about convincing people or anything like that. Um, you know, it's it's really in in the business world in sales. It's do I have a solution that can solve a problem that you have? And the most important thing to do in sales is ask questions. It's not about me telling you how awesome my, well, just like if you were to meet somebody that you maybe wanted to date, how 
how obnoxious would it be if that person told you how awesome they were? I'm, this is why you need to go out with me. I'm this awesome, right, right, right. It's the worst thing. You can all imagine how revolting that would be. Selling is the same thing. You know, I want to tell you how good my product is going to be for you, right? That's the worst approach. It's quite frankly, you know, I can sit here and talk a lot about sales, but I'll tell you the best analogy um, for selling is to be like a doctor, right? When you walk into a doctor's office and your knee hurts, you know, the doctor sits there and they diagnose you. Hey, why did you come in today? My knee hurts. Where does it hurt? Here. How long has it been hurting? Well, three weeks. What caused the hurt? You know, on and on and on. You know, does it hurt when you do this? Does it hurt when you do that? That's what a doctor does. That's this, the doctor in that case is actually selling. He's diagnosing what the problem is. So the most important thing I could ever leave with you about selling is act like a doctor when you're talking to people, right? You just ask them, you know, what are the problems? Maybe you don't have a solution. That's great. Then figure that early so you can walk out and go spend time with another client that might want or have a problem that you could solve. So I think it's one of the most important things in any business, right? If you, you know, in any business you have a CEO, but then you've got sales and you have operations and you have finance, you have to have those things and nothing's gonna happen without a sale. You could have a company that made a sale of something, at least they have revenue coming in. Now they're gonna figure out, can they even do that thing that they sold? But it is really the most important thing. So. I have about 30 years of being involved in sales. I've gone through all kinds of sales training um, with all different kinds of, read all kinds of books and I continue to educate myself on, on selling. But it is, you know, you can't be too much of a master at anything and you can't be too much of a master at selling. And it absolutely is, you know, Aaron and Jack's partners will tell you that sales is the most important thing in any company. Revenue, how's our revenue doing, that kind of thing. And so um, I can't stress, it is my background, but I can't stress how important it is to understand sales and uh, if, if it's something you're interested in, really learn about it. I remember this great quote to something to the effect of, you become a company the day you have a paying customer and not a day before. That's so, right. I love that That's idea. That's true. Um, there were a couple of hands up. Um, yeah, please. That was the question. I was oh, that was the question. Perfect. You read your mind. Well, so, okay, good, bad, and ugly of startups. Like, what have you really loved? What, you know, you, you said... I can't imagine doing a career any other way. Like, why? Why? And but but you know, the nights you stayed up all night stressing. What was that like? You know, maybe like a peek under the covers here. Good, bad, and ugly of startup life. Yeah, I heard a quote by a very very famous venture capitalist who was also a very very successful sales guy, and um, he or not a sales guy, a very successful CEO and founder of a company, and he said. You know, when I was the CEO and, and uh, running startup, I slept like a baby. I used to wake up every two hours and cry my eyes out. <laughs> and I thought that was great because that is a little bit of what it's like. There's so much in uncertainty in a startup. Um, and um, maybe I like that. Maybe that's what most people who do startups seek and like. Um, you know, there's... There's massive uncertainty and there's also massive upside and there's massive lows um, versus going to work for State Farm Insurance and you're going to make, you know, work your way up um, uh, through the ranks, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that. I have, you know, friends that are head, you know, they're CEOs of billion dollar companies right now and they're going through acquisitions and things like that. So it's just a different path. Um, but there's a lot of uncertainty 
with with uh, with startups, especially when you're at the top or you're in the executive level. You're you're worried about sales. You're worried about running out of business all the time. You're worried about making payroll. Um, you know all those kinds of things. I've gone through that with almost all of my companies, where you know myself and the other people and the executive leadership team won't take pay because we've got to make payroll. Um, and we're waiting for the invoices to be paid. Um, so that, that there's, there's just untold stories of that. Um, my job now, I'm out fundraising. Um, Aaron and I speak about that often because we're in the, a round of funding as a startup. We have venture funding from uh, the company that Aaron's involved in, but we're out for another round of funding so that we can grow even more. And um, you got to be thick skinned because the people that I'm talking to every day, their job is to say no. Their job as a venture capitalist or a corporate venture capitalist is to say no, 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 until they see something really want to invest in. And we have a tricky product. I think it's going to be better than the Peloton, which as you all know is a big product, um, successful company. Um, but it's a hardware company and um, a lot of venture capitalists and people with money want to invest in bytes. They don't want to invest in atoms is one of the things that I heard. So um, it can very it can be very difficult. You just got to keep going. I always say every no that I get, I'm that much closer to a yes. And you almost expect to hear no um, because you hear it so often. Well, so tell me about that psychology a little bit. You know, my understanding is a salesperson, you, you, you presume the yes every time, even though the no happens a lot more often. In other words here, Ken, I asked for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. We skipped the good. We just did the bad and the ugly here. <laughs> well, I think, I think if you're going to do something, you have to have a deep passion and a deep conviction about it. If you believe, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Because I can tell you the number of no's that I've got. It's probably around 220. And, uh, and what I keep in my mind is... John Foley, the guy who is the CEO of Peloton, got 400 no's. And I go, all right, I'm that much closer, but I still got 180 more to go. <laughs> and, and having that passion and belief and conviction around what you're doing, it doesn't matter because I believe that when people say no, that I don't put that on me. I go, you don't get it, right? Because if everyone were to get how cool what we do is, then there'd be a lot of people out there doing it. And uh, everyone said no to Peloton for a long time. What, are you kidding me? Who's going to buy a bicycle and you're going to have people, you know, going to training classes on a stationary bicycle in your house? Well, look at how big that company is. And granted, right now they're going through some tough times, but they're still a massive multi-billion dollar company with something that's not that complicated, right? A stationary bike. Everyone knows that there's a station. That wasn't that complicated. You know, filming people doing training classes. I mean, you know, you obviously have to have the distribution and all that, but that's not that complicated, folks. You know, someone did it. Why? Because they had the belief that they could do it and the experience that the people were going to have doing that in a class was going to be unbelievable. And they never, ever, ever gave up. <clears throat> and so I think that, you know, Getting up and having that conviction and hearing a no and going, that's okay. I'm going on to the next person. You know, if you've got that belief and that conviction um, and that passion around what you're doing, it doesn't matter. Nothing's really going to stop you. Right. Well, so we got a room here, a bunch of young, eager students. What are your thoughts about launching a startup 
you know, mm-hmm. as a 20 something versus kind of your path, you know, spending some time in industry, getting experience and then becoming a founder. Yeah. Pros I mean, and cons of either option. Well, I would, if you, if you have an idea or something like that, just do it, especially when you're young. You're not young back there, but neither am I. <laughs> yeah, I can well, see a little gray hair there. But I'm talking to a crowd of generally young people. But you know, you'll hear most entrepreneurs or most people, uh, you know, say just just do it, go do it, make the mistakes, right? Learn, right? You never know. I mean, there there's been some crazy startups that have been found. I mean, look at Michael Dell, right? Look at Dell Computer once again. It's not some kind of, he didn't invent the personal computer. He didn't do that at all. He just started selling computers where? When he was in his college, uh, his college dorm room. And he started taking, you know, com- orders for computers that he would build and put together for people. And he just bought all those parts. So again, it's not like he came up with something that, you know, he invented some incredible thing that he needed NASA to do. He just built computers, right? And he did it in his college dorm room. And now look at Michael Dell. It's one of the most incredible success stories ever, right? Um, so if you have some kind of idea, whatever it is, there's look, we're, we're so exposed to all the things that are making money right now. And you just scratch your head sometimes and go, how did that become successful, right? It's just somebody decided they were gonna build a bunch of scooters and drop them all over the place and people would pay for them. Come on, right? I mean, I thought that, right? I mean, that's what's going on. So look at all the crazy things that people make money doing and take your great idea or yours and your colleagues, your buddies, your friends or whatever, and just try and go for it, right? It's never, ever, ever been a time like this. There's never been a better time. You've got the ability to create your own website got the ability to access everything from the internet, sell things over the internet. I mean, the internet wasn't around when I was doing things. So there's more of an opportunity now. And I know you all hear that, but don't overthink it. Just kind of do it, make the mistakes. And you may find what you decided to do is gonna be difficult, no doubt about it. I can tell you that right now. But you'll find out that either it's a crazy idea and no one wants to buy it, or, oh my God, I'm getting all these orders and I got the biggest problem ever in fulfilling those orders, which is the greatest thing you could ever have. So, I mean, it seems like some of the great founders out there, they have this insight into the world that nobody else saw. You know, Airbnb, renting out your own personal room to strangers. Uber, renting out your own personal car to strangers. I mean, those two companies, that's the quintessential stuff my mom told me not to do when I was <laughs> Don't get in the car with strangers, don't go to a stranger's house, and, and here they are, gazillion, right. billion dollars. Those are two unbelievable examples so you know? so so ultimately you know it, it feels to me that the the difference between the successful founder and the unsuccessful one isn't necessarily who was smarter or had the better idea but, but maybe who executed and right time to right and they and those you know those are platform plays right there's a platform where someone's got a car someone needs a ride someone's got a house someone needs a place to stay there's a platform that connects those two simple that's all it is it's a platform play and, um, you know, someone needs a scooter, that dude wants to ride around on one. There it is. It's a platform play. So it's, I'm making it sound much more simple than it is, but that the simplest businesses are the ones that are the most successful. Well, so, and as a young student, are there any skill sets you recommend or like lessons that the students should learn to be competitive as, either as a founder or even 
maybe you wanted to work for a startup? I mean, what, what do you look for in a, in a strong employee or partner? Wow, that's, there's a lot there. Um, I'll take kind of the first part. I, I think that if you really want to do it, I can't say enough that you can do it and you'll kind of learn the skills. Michael Dell did that, right? He didn't go work for any startup. He was a college student, as an example. Um, so you can kind of overthink it maybe at times and, you know, go to work for a startup and see how they do it. And um, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think, you know, in, in terms of it's so hard right now, you guys are going out into a great market for jobs if you're going to graduate sooner and you know within the next three or four years i mean there's a lot of uh, opportunity out there there's there's a <clears throat> shortage of individuals for everything we all know that um so I, I i look for passion and conviction and what people have have done in the past and um a lot of times it's it's not about you know the grades that someone had that's a, that's always a factor but you know, what has their career been and why did they take a certain path? Um, when I'm interviewing people, I, I go back through, I, I like to interview people at the bottom of their resume and then go up and I start talking to them, you know, asking the same five questions in each job category, you know. What would, what would happen if I, you know, can you give me the name of the people you work for? What would they say if I called you? And when I do that, you find people, the good people, it draws the good out of them, you know? Whereas the people who want to hide something, they're nervous about it, you know? They're, oh, well, yeah, I know I told you about John, but I don't think he works there anymore. That's a red flag to me. Whereas the good guy or the good girl is going to say, well, yeah, he worked for Stacy. Well, what would Stacy tell? Oh, Stacy would be great. I've got her cell phone number right here. I can give you her number. Well, you haven't worked with her for 15 years. Oh, we'd still keep in touch. That's a good sign, you know? Those kinds of things, typical you know, human personality things are what I really look for, not what's on paper. But and you can, you've got to go back in time to figure those things out, um, and and really dig on people's resume because if you dig, I'm not. I don't want to get into how you interview people, but some of the traits that I look for will come out when you do that kind of deep dive into someone's background with them. Awesome. Okay. Well, so Ken, you mentioned. Very beginning, that you weren't the founder of Infinidec, but you're the CEO. Came in to run it. Um, I want to kind of come full circle here. Talk about the machine again. What convinced you to like leave whatever else you were doing? You could have had a cozy retirement, living up there by Lake Tahoe, do whatever you want to do, hang out in Europe. But you decided I need to run this company. Like, what convinced you? Well, it was kind of funny because I um, I got a phone call from someone that Aaron and I know who asked me. What, I, what I'm involved in with impact um, and have been involved in is because of my background in sales, sometimes when they're looking at a company to invest in, they'll call me up and they'll say, could you talk to these people about their sales? You know, how's their pipeline looking? Do they have a good sales process? Do they have good future prospects on the horizon? All these kinds of things. And so um, because of that, someone that Aaron and I know that also is involved in impact contacted me and said, hey, can you check out this company? It might be a good investment. So I went to look at them and I said, guys, you know, this is the current CEO and the current founder. Started to consult with them a little bit and I said, you guys need to hire a vice president of sales because you have an incredible product. Um, I didn't really know the opportunity. I never put on one of those 
head-mounted displays, you know, the goggles that they call them, ever. Never put that on. I'm not a gamer. I haven't played games and things like that. Um, but I knew that they had something pretty cool. So I wrote the job description for them. And then I started to help them to try and find somebody. And then I thought to myself, maybe I should take this job as the vice president of sales. This is a pretty cool company. Um, and uh, I would, at that time, I'd been working with them for about a month and a half and really starting to look under the cover at where the real opportunity could be. And at that time, Impact Venture Capital was looking at the company. And that's when Jack said, hey, uh, we'll invest in the company if you become, it was a little bit like that, if you become the CEO. And so um, that was really how it all came about. And the current founder is like the mad scientist guy. He doesn't want anything to do with the business stuff, which is great because I don't want to do anything to do with designing that incredible product. So there's a great, great synergy between the two of us. And the current CEO really is a better operations guy. He didn't want to be the CEO. And so I didn't step in and push anyone aside. They're now, the three of us are, are partners in the company and uh, uh, work very, very closely together. Awesome. Okay, we got just a couple more minutes, but I want to make sure I give the students time again. Any other questions you'd like to ask Ken? Yeah, in the back. Yeah, I was just curious, how has the whole startup market changed since you first started working in it versus today? Um, it's an interesting question because I think, and Aaron might even be better to answer this question, but there's there's more venture capital money available and corporate venture capital. So corporate venture capital is like, you know, um, take a company like Intel. Intel has a venture capital arm and they invest in startups that align with the things that they're doing. You know, Intel does chips and so, so they look for startups and then they invest in those companies and likely they'll buy them down the road. And so that's corporate venture capital. So there's a lot of money that's out there from corporate venture capital and venture capital. But at the same time, there's a lot more startups that are vying for that capital that's out there. Um, so I think that, um, you know, the tide is rising on both sides. Wouldn't you agree with that in general? Um, but I, I think that there's a lot more sophistication in it, in it now. Um, so I, I don't think anything bad or good has really, you know, changed massively. Um, but there are a lot more startups out there. Yeah, so I was like, uh, I thought you were talking about like, about sales and you said you read a lot of like great books takes a lot of like, you know, great license. I was wondering, do you have any like recommendations for people who want to improve their sales skills? Like, what are some best steps they can take? Should they take an internship? Should they just do sales on the street? Or should they read some books? Like, what are some of your recommendations? All three of those. All <laughs> um, I, I mean it. I mean, I, I think I started selling when my, my mom, when I was a young kid, 16 years old, long, long time ago, she made me go out and get a job. Just go out and get a job. Mom, what do you mean? Go out and get a job. Where? I don't know. Don't come back until you get a job. That's what it was like. She made me walk down the street and get a job. I ended up getting a job like 12 miles away, making 75 cents an hour at a pet store. And um, I'd ride my bike there every day. I mean, you know, sounds not making it sound that bad. But then I went on to like selling newspapers with this group of people, I, I don't know, but it was door to door selling. Anyway, 
I think that just interacting with people, I can send Aaron a list of books that, you know, I think that I would absolutely recommend people, but there's nothing like getting out and doing it. Um, you know, there's, there's getting involved in a sales job for like a technology company where you're doing inside sales first and then you move to outside sales is such a great thing. It really is because you're just pounding the phones for a long time, you know, make your 75 calls a day, that kind of a thing. You really learn a lot. Um, when you do those kinds of things and it, 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 you know, then you can move into going to outside sales and those kinds of things. I, none of that stuff is, is bad or it's only going to be, uh, massively beneficial to you in any career that you take for sure. Awesome. We've got maybe time for one last question. If there is one. Okay. There's cool. one back here. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yes, please. What do you think is the like one biggest thing that made your company like successful? Anything, like biggest thing? Um, well, all of them have been um, a little bit different. They've all been um, unique technologies somehow uh, that I've been involved in. The, the companies that have gone on to be acquired, um, you know, just very unique technologies that people came and bought. We weren't trying to sell them. People kind of came along and bought them. Um, but that doesn't, it doesn't need to always be that way, you know, connecting people to get in a car, you know, who with the people that needs rides. I, I think that's unique because no one was doing it, but it's not a new thing that came along, right? You're not flying people around with backpacks on or something <laughs> like that. Awesome. Okay, well, we're, we're just about at two o'clock, so let's give Ken a round of applause. Thank you for coming in. Thank you all.